Hey there, I'm Adam Rissman, and welcome to another episode of Inside Intercom. Before we get into this week's conversation, I've got to mention, it's been a really, really big week for the team here. And that's because we just launched our newest feature, Custom Bots. A little bit about that, sales and marketing teams can now create and customize the perfect bot for their business in minutes, code-free. These customizable chatbots can connect to your tech stack, they can automate your workflows, increase lead conversion, and just a whole lot more. So when you're done listening to this episode, be sure to visit inter.com forward slash custom bots to learn what it's all about. So sticking with our chatbot theme this week, we thought it'd be fun to speak with one of the leading thinkers in this space, someone who's actually been at the forefront of conversational interfaces for more than two decades now. That's Microsoft Corporate VP of AI and Research, Lily Chang. Lily oversees Microsoft's AI developer program, and that includes both cognitive services and Microsoft's bot framework, which helps developers to build and connect intelligent conversational AI to their customer experiences. Going way back, though, she even worked on Microsoft Comic Chat, one of the earliest internet chat applications back in the mid-90s. In my chat with Lily, we cover how bots and humans work best when they work together. We really think that pairing bots that can do repetitive tasks initially, um, that can solve a lot of simple problems um, that people have, are really important to pair that with employees and workers who can do more complex and interesting things. How to give your chatbot a personality or a voice? Well, what are your goals? Is your goal to really quickly serve your customer and kind of provide them as quickly as possible with the information you want? Or are you an entertainment site where you really want your user to stick around and talk a lot and kind of have a really engaged experience? And the impact that improved automation like this can have on a business. If we can do a good job of being able to more quickly respond to what someone says and bring them the information more quickly, make it interesting. I mean, it's just going to completely change the way we build software all up. If you'd like to hear from Lily, you should definitely check out our full archive of Inside Intercom interviews. We've got chats around product management and design, along with sales, marketing, engineering, and just the business of startups. So subscribe on iTunes, give us a follow on Spotify, find us on Overcast, or anywhere else you go for podcasts these days. And now let's get into this week's conversation, where I'm on the line with Microsoft's Lily Chang. You're listening to Inside Intercom. Intercom. Making internet business personal at scale. Learn more at intercom.com. Lily, welcome to Inside Intercom. We're absolutely thrilled to have you on. Thank you. Great to be here. Yeah, so just to get us started, since this is your first time on the show, can you give us a quick feel for your current role at Microsoft and the types of products and initiatives that you touch that our listeners might be familiar with? Yeah, sure. So I am the corporate vice president at Microsoft in the AI and research division, and I focus on all of our conversational AI. So that's things like, you know, our bot software, bot framework, the Azure bot service, um, language understanding and and things like that. Cool, cool. And and you mentioned AI as as part of your title. It is sort of one of the most debated and maybe misunderstood phrases that gets batted around right now, particularly in in media. But in the context of, of your work, what does AI mean exactly? Well, the, the work that I do is I focus on the AI tools. So that's speech, language, vision, knowledge, search. And they're really tools that help developers or just, you know, anyone out there incorporate these services into their own apps. Yeah. And, and speaking specifically to sort of conversational projects you've worked on, uh, one of the most interesting early applications, I believe, in, in your time at Microsoft was Comic Chat, the graphic IRC from way back in the mid-90s. Can you explain for our listeners a little bit about what that was? 
Yeah. So back in 95, it's a long time ago, um, we were really interested in the internet and how people converse. And at that time, the most common way people would converse or chat online was through IRC or internet chat relay. And the term bot actually comes, you know, from that era. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that we were interested in doing with IRC is thinking about, you know, how do people create their own topics? Um, how do people communicate in groups? And we were really interested in thinking about how people could be more expressive. So we actually had two products. One was Comic Chat, which took basically made your conversation history a comic book or a mm -hmm. visual history of you know, what you said. So if you said hi, it would make you wave. And we worked with a really amazing comic artist, a local comic artist here in Seattle, his name's Jim Woodring, mm -hmm. uh, to create all of the artwork, which we componentized. And we basically made a, you know, a, a graphical way for you to converse with um, your friends. And was that really a sort of a passion project at the time? Or what was the main goal that, that your team was really trying to achieve? Well, what's kind of funny is back then, I don't remember what version of IE we were working on, but that was actually the default. Uh, IE actually, Internet Explorer actually had a chat client inside of it. And Comic Chat was the default UI that you got with Internet Explorer. So I'm not sure why we did that <laughs> exactly. I think it's because we were really exploring, you know, like I said, the Internet and how people converse. And we've always been really interested in how to make conversation and dialogue more expressive. So what's been really cool for me is, you know, 20 some years later, really bringing back bots and focusing the user experience back on conversation. And so much has changed in the last, you know, in the years, obviously, things like social networking didn't really exist back then and cell phones even, and, you know, so much of what we do today. But I think we've always believed in putting people at the center of the experience and, you know, the power of conversation. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, conversation really is the the original UI, so to speak. I mean, it's the the, the first way that we all all interacted, and the, the problem that you're facing is, is still something that we're we're trying to continue to iterate on and, and solve today. What maybe were some of those early design principles from that project that that still holds true in your work today? Are there certain learnings that you still lean on? Well, I think today you actually interact with your phone and other people in chat or text messaging an email, so much more of your life than we, we could have ever dreamed. I think today probably people spend, you know, four or five hours on their phones alone, much less, you know, their PCs. And I think we always believed that we should do more with what you input, with what you say, with how you type, and just be smarter about that. Mm -hmm. And I think that really underlies, you know, the design of the computer from the very beginning. If you go all the way back to the command line, it was a dialogue that you had with your system. You know, it's always been a dream. With comic chat, you know, we tried to say, well, if you say wave or hello or hi or goodbye or, you know, you, you said commands, the system could could show you being more friendly. And it was, you know, comic chat was a fun, you know, a fun social chat app. But I think for me, one of the dreams that we have is that you can do less. The system just works on your behalf and follows more the principles and the ways that people are so familiar with just in the way they converse. So if I say schedule a meeting or, you know, I'm meeting you for the first time, the system can just help me rather than me having to um, drive it as much as you have to do today. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, it's interesting that you mentioned command line there because that really is sort of where all this, this spurns off of. And thinking back just a, a couple of years ago when conversational commerce became the big 
buzzword around uh, Twitter and everything about all these applications. Still a lot of those early things were a lot of sort of if-then-else statements. But it, in the last couple of years, it's really snowballed from there. What are some of the most exciting applications of, of this stuff that you're seeing right now? Well, we've been really interested in seeing how companies want to use these tools to help them do business. Mm -hmm. So, you know, our company really thrives when other companies succeed. So some of, of Microsoft's business is based on, you know, you're making your company run better or tools for your company. And so I've been really surprised and interested in how companies are interested in using AI in general. So as you said earlier, AI can be a very misunderstood term. Yeah. And, you know, it's not magic. Typically, there's actually technology under there working that somebody built. And people can really misunderstand what AI can do for them. And so we're just really interested in really talking to companies, figuring out what are the, some of their core challenges, and then learning, you know, what kind of apps and things do they want for their customers or in, with, you know, inside their companies. So bots not surprisingly, has been something that companies have really been interested in doing, mostly because uh, there's kind of two scenarios I think that we see companies building. The first one is, you know, hey, I really want to talk to my customers. Mm -hmm. And it turns out, if you think about it, there aren't a lot of times you're really dying to talk to a company. And why is that? You know, why do customers not really want to talk to companies? And I think online, we just haven't made that in the past a great experience. So probably historically, companies spend a lot of time thinking about the design of their shop or their store, their physical you know, presence, and they haven't thought as much or beginning with the online experience. And today, most companies, the first time you experience them is through search results, you click on their website, and you might interact with their products online versus going into the store. So that communication that you have with your customer beginning online often, you know, going into the store... Um, building over time just needs to be better, mm -hmm. I think. Um, so we see a lot of companies wanting to do that. And then the other scenario that we see companies really being interested in is just, you know, making work inside their company easier and more effective and, you know, being more conversational and things like that. And then, of course, we have a lot of, you know, some of the really fun uh, social experiences as well. Yeah, absolutely. And, sp and speaking more to the, the former there, really the how can consumers get closer and get in contact easier, quicker, faster with the businesses that they, they're patrons of. I think that really what you're saying is that it's, it sh should be more of an ubiquitous experience because it's, it's a sort of a, a relationship that takes place in a lot of different contexts. And previously, whereas when you were in person, you could go and talk to someone right away face to face, and then you'd go to the web experience and all of a sudden you get hit with this, this form field that you have to sign up to get in touch with someone. And it's it doesn't have that immediacy and it really sort of just kills the relationship in a lot of ways. Yeah, I mean, you I think, you know, customer support is a great scenario. You you know, it, it, it typically something has to have gone pretty wrong if you want to pick up the phone and call a company and get help with something. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, that's probably not the best business strategy for dealing with your most devoted customers. Absolutely. And, and speaking really, really to that use case, too, I think zooming out and looking at, at AI in, in general, I think there's sort of this conception of like, oh, this all this technology is built to replace something. But I, I think in the case of, of business, there really is a, a case of this type of technology and people working hand in hand and, and stepping in where, where one maybe uh, isn't the most efficient answer, like say 
the support example that you mentioned, or even someone that's just on the sales side, trying to do some light investigation into, into a product. And there's a lot of sort of quick, repetitive answers and things like that that aren't the best use of, of a person's time. How do you see humans and, and bots coexisting? I see them one in the same system. So one of the most common things that we have people add to a bot is they, we call it a person in the loop, mm-hmm. which means that um, typically when you build an AI system, especially for a company, often you're trying to do something really specific for your company. So unlike, you know, a company like Microsoft or, you know, Amazon or Google, you might not have tons and tons of data around your customer interactions because you're trying to just sell an insurance policy or, you know, get somebody, you know, help with their medical process or whatever it is. And you don't have a lot of data. Mm -hmm. And so I think one of the things that's really important is you're building a conversational experience is to not have the technology that you can lead with limit what a user does. So what I mean by that is, you know, if you launch an AI service and it can only do one thing Mm -hmm. and it doesn't do anything else at all, you might not learn what your customers really want. And you might be teaching your customers, hey, we only do, you know, this one limited thing. And typically people will ask for a wider variety of things. So we really encourage companies to, you know, gather up what your either your system can't do, or if it can't do something, hand it off to a person who can make sure that you don't really lose a customer in that experience. And so I think, you know, people are really great at new things, ambiguous things, um, complex problems. And we really think that pairing bots that can do repetitive tasks initially, um, that can solve a lot of simple problems um, that people have, are really important to, to, you know, to pair that with employees and workers who who can do more complex and interesting things. Absolutely. And, and, and really thinking back to a few years ago, some of the early use cases here, I think one place where maybe say around 2016, where chatbots got a lot of criticism, maybe they fell flat, it's just because they were very general purpose. Have you seen these applications become more, more people focused? How are these things trending? Um, I think people are, well, it's interesting. So early on, if you go all the way back to 1995, mm-hmm. you know, the stuff we were talking about early on, I think one of the things that we learned was we were just early. So consumers really weren't used to chatting. Yeah. And, you know, they, they barely had email accounts or, you know, the internet was, was pretty slow back then. And so the people who were chatting online were really a small segment of, you know, people communicating. Mm -hmm. So that's been one of the biggest changes. I think today, pretty much anyone who, you know, has a phone gets text messages and, you know, people are used to feeds and communication, email, obviously, instant messaging. You can't really imagine life without these tools today. So um, although they're really popular, I think people aren't necessarily used to communicating with businesses Absolutely. in these tools. And so I do think, you know, there's probably for you, I know it was true for me, there's like some experience that changes your mind where you go, wow, that that was just awesome. That totally um, saved me time or that experience was so much better. And that change encouraged you to try others and use them more and more. And I think you're going to see that a lot with conversational experiences. 
Just before we continue with today's episode, I wanted to let you know about Offscript. It's a new series of candid conversations with intercom leadership all about the extraordinary AI-driven transformation we're currently experiencing. Episode 1 is on our YouTube channel right now. Here's a teaser of what you can expect. I don't want to come across as overly dramatic, but for every single tech company, this is an adapt-or-die moment. It's inevitable that all businesses are going to go AI first. It's just a matter of time. In this post-AI world, new companies will rise, old companies will fall. Of course, some of these new companies will flame out. Some old companies will pivot successfully too. I don't think any of us could see a world where this wasn't going to be one of the biggest changes in the customer service landscape ever. The world we care about is customer service. And it's so patently obvious that the old way will be quickly obsolete. We're racing hard to build a future which will result in better experiences and results for customers and businesses too. It's not just a product change, it's a mindset change. Let's make space to talk about all of this. We have so much we want to share. We want to explore these ideas in the open. We want to provoke new ones in you. We want to learn from your reaction. You just click the kind of like big stupid go button, right, and see what happens. Welcome to Offscript. That's all to come on Offscript. The first episode is out now. You can watch it on Intercom's YouTube channel and we'll bring you audio versions of the episodes right here. Now, back to today's episode. One thing that's really interesting within, within that is um, something that Microsoft has been doing a lot of work with, and that's the idea of personality within bots. In fact, your team actually recently announced the uh, project personality chat, which enhances the bot's ability to, to handle small talk uh, with that, a chosen personality. So, I mean, should all bots have a personality or does, does it depend on the context? What, what's your viewpoint there? Well, I think it definitely depends on the context. Mm -hmm. So for me, a bot, in a sense, is just a conversational app. So, so I'll give you an example of one maybe that doesn't have that much personality. One okay. of our most popular bots is really just a translator bot. So in Skype, if you want, you can talk to the translator bot and you can translate in real time from one language to another. It's just a service, really, and it was a way that we could sort of embed that functionality right in your conversation. Mm -hmm. So that might be a bot that, you know, is it a bot? Is it a, just an app? Is it a service? The, the line kind of blurs, but you might not want your translator to have its own character because it might just disrupt. You just yeah. want it to work, just translate what's happening and kind of be in the background. I think for most companies, they really have a brand. They have a point of view and how you interact with them. So the voice of a company typically should be in line with the brand of your company. So a great example there is a, a bot that we worked on with um, Progressive. So Progressive has a you know, a persona, flow, who's a character that you interact with in Progressive, just if you work with Progressive Insurance mm -hmm. all up. And so Flow is their bot that has Flow's character and, and matches their brand and their tone and is consistent with, you know, what a, a Progressive Insurance customer would expect. And that character could also maybe change a little bit depending on, you know, if it's embedded in Facebook or embedded in a teenage audience or an older audience, it could shift a little bit, just like a person does when you interact with someone, you sort of might shift a little bit based on the audience. So we, I think personality is really key. Obviously, you don't want a very social chatbot personality in a business setting. It would just be inappropriate. You also don't want a really stodgy business persona in a social environment. And probably the 
example where we push this the most is with a very popular chatbot that we have in China called Chowice, mm-hmm. where we see um, taking that technology and really having it power, you know, many other characters in Japan and China, like Pokemon and, you know, a bunch of the other Asian personas. When it comes to actually designing the the personality for a, a brand's bot, are there certain questions that you advocate them them asking, or is it really as simple as we have our brand voice and tone guidelines now? We just need to design that into this conversational experience. Well, I think starting with that is really key, and actually, companies most companies think about that from the beginning. So they've already designed a website, they already have an app, they have a look and feel. Um, even on a website, they have some sort of text and they really want to own how, you know, the character interacts with the customers. I think that's pretty intuitive if you work for a company, but then how to make that real and believable and um, is something that we help companies with. So what are, what should you do if, you know, what are all the things that you might want help authoring so you don't have to start from scratch? What elements can we, you know, package up and provide a company so that they maybe don't have to author, you know, all kinds of things about time or just general internet knowledge and things like that. Mm -hmm. But um, as far as dialogue, I mean, that's one of the funnest parts, I think. I think it's it's interesting to know, like, well, what are your goals? Is your goal to really quickly serve your customer and kind of provide them as quickly as possible with the information you want? Or are you an entertainment site where you really want your user to stick around and talk a lot and kind of have a really engaged experience. Yeah, it absolutely comes back to, to problem definition there. I imagine that you're um, someone that when you use these types of experiences in your personal life, probably evaluates them a little bit differently than the, the average consumer due to the nature of your work. Are there any sort of common pitfalls that you run into when, when using these types of experiences in your own life where maybe certain best practices that a listener could take away in terms of things that you see often and you just really wish people knew better than to do? Oh, there's so many. Um, (laughs) I think one thing that's interesting is the latency of conversation. So when you text a friend, sometimes you have these, you know, you say one thing and you've said two things, but they're responding to the first thing and you kind of have these conversational glitches Mm -hmm. and you have to clarify saying like, oh, no, 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 I was talking about the first thing. Or you maybe use a lot of emojis or something to be like, no, 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 I was just kidding. And so I think humans to humans talking, especially in text, do you have, you know, it's different than talking in voice because you just don't have all the social cues. Mm -hmm. And so I think one of the things that we think about a lot is there is latency when you you chat with a chatbot, sometimes because the system is actually looking up an answer for you and is getting back to you. Sometimes it responds so quickly that you're sort of, it feels really unhuman and unnatural to get an answer back so quickly, you think, well, how did you type that fast? Right. It just doesn't kind of match the cadence of talking with a person through text. And so I think that's one of the things that we really help people with. How do you converse with the kind of latency that feels proper? And then how do you design an experience in case you have a lot of latency coming back, like just making sure you let people know you're working on an answer or something like that. And then if you do have these glitches, like I said, you know, you maybe you you're answering the first thing somebody said, but they wanted you to answer the second thing. Um, I think just giving people, the consumer, like ways to say like, no, not that, or correct is really important because otherwise the conversation can get kind of frustrating, just like it gets can get frustrating, 
you know, with text chat. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, even little things there too, like just the little cue of some someone is typing, right? That that, that right, is the still dot there. Dot. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that really helps to to humanize humanize the experience. Um, is there anything on the on the opposite end that that you've come across lately that that has you um, particularly excited or that's that's really new in the space? Well, we're sort of really intrigued by systems that can keep your interest for longer and that can be more general purpose. So I think one of the things that we do see is when you converse with someone, you're really kind of dropping into one topic and pulling out and then dropping into another. If you think of, you know, designing apps, we might call that deep linking. So, hey, in this podcast, if I change topic and suddenly say, show ice again, (laughs) you're going to know to pull back into that topic. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's just really interesting to me if software can kind of follow the mind of a person and be able to shift more dynamically based on what you're talking about and bring you that information right away. I think that's one of the biggest advantages of these kind of systems. And it means that you do need to build them a little bit differently. You need to make sure you componentize your app more, that you can make those transitions easily. If you make an error that you can do that. But I think if we can do a good job of being able to more quickly respond to what someone says and bring them the information more quickly, make it interesting. I mean, it's just going to completely change the way we build software all up. So that's just super fun. I mean, it's it's really exciting to kind of go all the way back to the command line and be able to rethink an experience in a very simple way that's just completely centered and based on the way people converse. I mean, it's just, it's awesome. Yeah, yeah. And it, it's, it sounds like, I mean, your thought process really is like looking back at conversation from first principles and just applying it into this more modern framework, which is a really, really exciting uh, problem to, to solve. And your team is definitely at the forefront of it. I mean, when it comes to building these types of systems, talking a little bit about Microsoft's bot framework specifically, mm-hmm. you know, what, what would you say is is your special sauce there? What does what the Microsoft bot framework bring to the table that's unique? I think one of the things, well, we have the, a very comprehensive system I think because we work with so many different companies, we've really tried to make sure that the experience is very customizable for the kind of, you know, bot that you're trying to make. And a lot of your questions reference that. So if you want a compliant bot, so almost all of the companies and customers that we work with require that their data be private and comply with all of their, you know, GDPR and other regulations. It just means that you have to build your AI in a different way where you're not you know, inspecting people's data at mm-hmm. all. Yeah. So that's been really big for us and us really thinking about how we build AI that doesn't need that. But if you do want to leverage some pieces that are shared, that you can have certain pieces, you know, obviously leverage data and services. So I think just making sure we're designing for business scenarios is first is great because I think it will help all the consumer scenarios as well with privacy and just data compliance and, you know, issues that people are so concerned with today. I think the other thing that's been really cool is just all of the customization. So your question about local languages mm-hmm. was really great. So for a lot of companies, they want to experiment first in Brazil or Italy or you know different countries and how we can make things work in a particular region and locale for that audience, you know, it is really critical. And so I think just being able to let companies incorporate not just Microsoft's AI services, but their own custom AI services or AI services from other companies, their own customer database, and just your own software. I mean, it's an app, it's a conversational app. And we want to give you all the power that you have in customizing an app that kind of bring that 
to dialogue and conversation. So I think we've really focused on, you know, solving some of these um, tricky problems for companies like Vodafone or Telefonica or, you know, so many others um, who are trying to do things that are more sophisticated and integrate with a lot of their existing services. We want to make that really easy for them and really give them the power to integrate all the tooling that they want. So that's been something that our customers really love. They want to really own their AI future and they really don't seem to want to take a bet just on one company. Um, and I, I think they want to be able to combine and mix and match all kinds of services. So just, just making sure that we're really open, that we support many companies and many AI techniques, I think is really critical at this early stage of AI. That's great. A lot of great resources there. I love the open source stuff you mentioned on GitHub. I should add Microsoft's recently acquired GitHub specifically, uh, which is really exciting for you and your team. Looking forward a little bit, what are you most excited about near-term, mid-term, long-term about where this type of technology is, is, is heading? What type of change would you be really excited about to look back and say, like, our, our team had helped make this happen? So if you think back, you know, to the early days, I think we probably thought that in 20 years, you know, when we worked on Comic Chat, that I don't think we would have thought we would just be here 20 years later. And so I think language is really hard. Language understanding is at the core of being human. And even humans have problems with language understanding sometimes. So I think if we can, I guess there's kind of maybe the aspirational thing is really make progress there, you know, really make progress and make it easier for people to do more with what people say and type so that the computing experience is easier. That's kind of the dream. And then shorter term, you know, I think we're really committed to making the tools that we make open. So I don't know if you remember this, but probably four or five years ago from Microsoft Research, we launched the cognitive services, which are now really embedded in Azure, our cloud. Yeah. And our we were the first company to do that because we had Microsoft Research for you know 25 years. And we believed that, gosh, we're so lucky and fortunate to have like the world's speech, you know, experts and language experts and vision experts. And most people don't have, you know, this research organization in their back pocket. And we thought if we could make these services available to anyone, we could actually have a lot more people who really have customers or real problems or, you know, fun things that they want to do with their own content come alive with vision and speech and language and knowledge. And so we're really committed to that. And I mean, already, I think I never would have dreamed back then when we did the cognitive services that AI would be, you know, kind of everywhere. When you go to any computer science department or really any conversation, AI is so much on the forefront of people's minds. That's super cool. And now I think we really need to make that even clearer for people. Like, what does AI mean? What does that mean for you and your company or your education? And how does it really impact what you can do? And so for us, you know, for me and my team, we're really focusing on beginning with language. But, you know, I think AI probably will, you know, can be there in the background, providing machine learning over data that you're using or, you know, obviously speech and, and vision and some of these other areas that other, you know, people at Microsoft are working on. Well, it's, it's really exciting prospects. And those are big questions that you mentioned, but they're definitely questions that we should all be asking of, of ourselves and our businesses as, as, as soon as we can to really capitalize on them and, and use all this technology to, to build those relationships with our, our customers and our users. So thank you so much for joining us today, Lily. It's been really awesome to have you on the program. Uh, 
where quickly, where can our listeners go just to, to keep up with the latest that's going on with you and your team? Um, I think just go to botframework.com. So that's, uh, that's probably the best place. I don't know. Yeah, I would start there. Cool. Great. Well, thanks again. And uh, hopefully we'll catch up again soon. Okay, super. Thanks so much. You've been listening to the Inside Intercom podcast. For more episodes, visit soundcloud.com slash intercom. If you'd like to subscribe, search for Inside Intercom in iTunes or Stitcher. And for even more great content, check out blog.intercom.com.